Susan Moran. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. Coming up, we'll discuss efforts to make STEM education more accessible to people with visual and other impairments, and to make STEM more interactive for every learner. Our guests are two chemists, Drs. Hobie Wedler and Brett Fiddler. First, a brief look back in time to pay tribute to two scientists. On this day, 79 years ago, in 1944, Richard Leakey was born. The paleontologist and physical anthropologist, he's known for his discoveries of extensive fossil finds in East Africa. His findings showed that our ancestors, Homo erectus and Homo habilis, used tools and thus were intelligent and lived in East Africa more than three million years ago. That was almost twice as long as human origins were previously thought to be. Also on this day, 115 years ago, in 1908, Anne Anastasi, a renowned American psychologist, was born. She was a pioneer in developing psychometrics. That's measuring and understanding psychological traits. For her achievements, she was awarded the National Medal of Science, even if not until 1987. You're listening to the KGNU Science Show. I'm Susan Moran. For many years, it's challenging, for most people, should I say, it's challenging enough learning science, technology, engineering, and math when they can clearly see the physical models or images of neurons on a screen. Instructors of these so-called STEM subjects have relied heavily on visual representations to teach high school and college students. So imagine the hurdles faced by students who are blind or visually impaired. Our guests today are in the forefront of efforts to make STEM education more accessible to people with visual impairments and those with other disabilities. They're also developing tools to make classroom learning much more interactive and thus more interesting for every learner. Hobie Wedler is a chemist, a sensory expert, and an entrepreneur. Completely blind since birth, he earned a PhD in organic chemistry from the University of California, Davis in 2016. He's dedicated much of his professional life to making science education more accessible to blind and visually impaired people, while also teaching everyone else to use more of their other senses, touch, hearing, smell, and taste, and thus to experience the world around them much more fully. Dr. Wedler is a consultant for many companies in the food and beverage, including wine, industries. He also founded and directed a nonprofit organization called Accessible Science, which for several years led chemistry camps for blind or visually impaired students. Dr. Wedler joins us from his home office in Petaluma, California. Hobie, welcome to How on Earth. Susan, thank you so much. It's an absolute honor to be here with you today, and I uh... I'm so excited for this uh, this this very important topic, and I'm excited to meet the Boulder community. Great to have you here. Our other guest is Dr. Brett Fiddler. He's a physical chemist at the University of Colorado Boulder, where he earned his PhD in 2017. Dr. Fiddler works on a team researching and designing interactive and multimodal 
educational tools for teaching STEM subjects. He joins us from Philadelphia, where he works remotely. Brett, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Susan. Also very excited, especially to be here with Hobie. So I want to first start with kind of a big picture. I mean, research has shown that students who have advanced knowledge in STEM disciplines, that's, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, among others, but particularly these, are more likely to have more opportunities in the job market, among other things in life. So it seems obvious that these important disciplines should be more broadly accessible to everyone who wants to study and teach them. But I want to ask each of you first, like, what inspired you to dedicate much of your professional and personal, really, life to this cause? Hobie Wedler, I want to start with you. Yeah, thank you, Susan. You know, for me, it was um, really growing up with a family who um, had just innate curiosity. Um, as a kid, I was always asking questions about what does this look like? What does that look like? How, how do these things fit together? Mm. Whether it be from a, you know, wildlife biology standpoint or a plumbing and electrical standpoint or, or anywhere in between. I've always been uh, very inspired by understanding how things work. And then when I got to high school, I fell in love with chemistry and uh, my passion was always after my amazing high school chemistry course to want to teach chemistry to folks who thought that it was a boring prerequisite. That's how I got into it. Interesting. And just on that high school chemistry front, I know we'll talk about sort of then and now in the broad picture, but did you feel that your, the, like the methods, the things you use, the things that were taught as a blind student were sufficient or was it partly like they're falling so short you want to do something more to improve how this is taught? It was amazing. I, I actually was able to step in and, and even high school really helped to, to think about and, and pave the way for how my education would, would be. We found a great assistant who had uh, taken the honors chemistry course I was in, uh, enrolled in the year before and who was very passionate about helping me through the course and and that made it all possible and really my drive to want to make science more accessible to a broad audience came about because I was like okay this is accessible to me but I hear so many of my peers saying this is a challenge and that they feel sort of undermined in the field and and it, the rest is sort of history is in terms of how we uh made everything accessible and, and worked to design accessible programs. Hmm, and we'll get to that. Really interesting. Um, Brett Fiddler, how about you? What inspired you or forced you <laughs> to go into this area of you know, making STEM education more accessible through all the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on, on my part, so I, I, I'm, uh, I have uh, myself have ADHD. Uh, so, you know, younger, uh, as a younger person, I mm. uh, struggled a lot to learn from uh, lectures and textbook. Uh, and from what things were available, I, I did gain uh, quite a lot and had a lot more fun and, and interest in, in the interactive learning uh, tools that that cropped up in, in middle and high school. And uh, uh, carrying carrying that through, right? Uh, we, you know, got through got through undergrad got through got through grad school uh, uh as an experimentalist uh was able to you know be very hands-on which was a very exciting way to, to to learn science and then uh decided to pivot and, and moved into the education space and and started to just uh, meet a, a wealth a wealth of people uh, across across the board and uh grew just more and more excited to to show uh others what uh, what science could be uh, and and uh, the different sorts of experiences that they could have, um, you know, they come at it with a, a pretty flexible mindset and 
Interesting. Yeah. So, so Brett, if I could have you take us to a classroom or to a particular example of the kinds of tools and approaches that you're developing and have developed and how they're used actually in classrooms or other learning settings. Yeah, absolutely. So to acknowledge, uh, so I work for uh, FET Interactive Simulations, uh, which is a, a project out of CU Boulder. Uh, it can be found at uh, FET.Colorado.edu. And I should say that's uh, an it, acronym. You'll have to decode it, but it's P-H-E-T, yep. right? Yep. Yes, that's true. P-H-E-T.Colorado.edu, where there's over 150 uh, interactive science and math simulations. Uh, and I work on a team, uh, so I have to acknowledge the, the team uh, that I'm under here, under the leadership of Dr. Emily Moore, who pioneered much of the work that we'll talk about here, um, uh, under the inclusive design team. Uh, and we uh, we create uh, these sort of hopeful, uh, enjoyable, inclusive learning experiences. And so to bring bring one example, um, we have a, a simulation that we worked um, uh, hard on to uh, be sort of uh, as accessible from the beginning uh, as we could uh, called quadrilateral. And that is a, uh, a math sim about four-sided shapes, the four-sided shape family. And so if we imagine taking that simulation into the classroom where we have maybe a, a mixed classroom of, of various abilities, then uh, you know there are uh, the way the way we've looked at designing the simulation is that you should be able to come at it. Um, you know the simulation itself should be able to meet you where you are. So um, perhaps that is uh, in a, a typical way using a, a, a Chromebook or, or or laptop, and you're using a pointer. And so you might you know use your pointer and, and grab at some of the sides of this. Uh, quadrilateral shape, this four-sided shape, and see as you change the corners and you change the side positions, how that shape changes, how it transforms from one type of shape, maybe a rectangle, uh, into a parallelogram just by dragging a side. Um, but that looks that can look pretty different if you're using a keyboard, because um, in that case, you're no longer moving kind of continuously. You have to move uh, you know, discreetly. You have to press a button. It has to change by a certain amount. Hmm. And that can have very big pedagogical, uh, so you know, learning implications um, of how somebody comes at it, and if they, uh, you know, uh, don't have the, uh, 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 if they have a visual impairment and and they're forced to use a keyboard as opposed to a mouse, that creates a different experience. So we like to think about ways um, to sort of uh, bring bring these things onto equal footing. And interesting, actually, um, Hobie. Whether let me ask you to jump in as someone who is blind. Can you envision like using this? It sounds like it's much more tactile than strictly visual. Yeah, no, it sounds really impressive. And, uh, you know, my hat is off to <laughs> Brett and his team at, at uh, FET uh, because they're, um, again, using that acronym because they're, they're looking at ways of really understanding uh, the scientific world in a way that's accessible and they're putting accessibility at the forefront. So, you know, where someone might be able to, to use Brett's example, grab the upper right corner of a rectangle and, and move it, shift it, you know, hmm. 10 degrees to the right. Well, what does that do? It tilts all this, you know, the, the two sides of that rectangle, the verticals, to be slightly oblique, right? So you turn it into a parallelogram. That, to me, would make sense if I could see it. But if I could hear it and understand, okay, I'm grabbing a corner of this four by two centimeter block and I'm moving that one corner one centimeter to the to the right mm -hmm. that shifts that whole upper edge one centimeter to the right as opposed to the 
to the uh, vertical, so to speak. And, you know, those sorts of those sorts of ways of describing stuff would really help me better understand what I was doing. Yeah. Interesting. Like and it. Brett Fiddler, is, are these designed for all students or some really for those who are blind or visually impaired, others for those who have other impairments? Or they're basically meant to be more hands-on interactive for anyone and also for anyone, whether it's middle school or high school or college. Yeah, absolutely. So the the sort of wealth of features that we develop for these, whether it be sound and sonification, whether it be uh, this sort of speech description that that Hobie uh, alluded to, um, or a an actual tangible physical device that pairs with the simulation to augment it in that way, all of these are meant to be you know as effective non visually or visually, uh, and meant to empower any sensorially diverse learners and. Uh, at the end, just present sort of a less screen-centric way to learn, uh, and that can apply to anybody. Amen to that. <laughs> and I'll ask in a bit more about sort of schools, how they might be adopting them and to, to what results. But Hobie, I want to jump to you. Sure. You've done a lot of work, as I alluded in the intro, developing summer science camps for the blind yeah. and visually impaired Take me to, I guess it wouldn't be a classroom, but a setting, yeah. and what what you and, and teachers there have been doing differently? How, how does it look and feel for students? Absolutely. So I'll share a few different aspects of, of this. Um, thank you, Susan. We, um, first of all, we partner with the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired of San Francisco on this. And uh, one of the attributes that we have with the Lighthouse is a beautiful 311-acre camp for blind folks to explore and learn and be and experience nature um, just west of Napa uh, up on the top of Mount Veter called Enchanted Hills Camp. Mm. So one of my favorite things to do is to pair, you know, two or three blind students or campers with a blind mentor and say, go get lost because <laughs> getting lost is a really good thing to do. And uh, for all of for us, hikes. I should say, <laughs> yeah, it is good. They'll go for hikes. And then it's like, when you don't know where you are and you're 15 years old, but your blind mentor is 25 or 30 or even older. And they say, well, let me show you, you know, they activate what they learn to find their way and, and, and figure things out and problem solve. There's no better way to learn. And that's the same thing we bring into the classroom. We come into the classroom with some really good instructors. It was uh, these camps and were, and still are partnered with the university of California Davis mm. and, um, and Lighthouse, like I said, uh, we, we do them for a variety of organizations now uh, in and out of partnership with UC Davis. But for this six year run, you know, with accessible science, we were working with uh, educators uh, from and graduate students alike from UC Davis. And we actually had high school mentors come in and work with our students. And one of the experiments that we did was we had them synthesize esters. So an ester is a compound in uh, fruits and perfumes and <clears throat> all these things that, mm. uh, that should have a, some have a not so pleasant smell, but I'd <laughs> say over 90% of them have a really pleasant smell. And they're the blend or the byproduct of um, dehydrating uh, a reaction where you bring a carboxylic acid. So what you might find in vinegar is acetic acid together with an alcohol. What you might find in, I don't know, your wine bottle or your vodka bottle is a compound called ethanol you bring those together and you, you remove a, a water molecule and you get ethyl acetate, which vinegar smells like vinegar, vodka smells like 
not much. Mm-hmm. You blend them together and you get something that smells like a beautiful overripe pear. So uh, students can tell when the reactions are completed. The other thing, Susan, that I'll tell you, we did a lot more hands-on chemistry and we had a lot of lectures at the program really taught from graduate students and, uh, and, and chemistry professors talking about how their fields are and, and could be made more accessible to blind folks who wanted to get involved with them and uh, maybe maybe study those fields uh, as careers later on. One of the most fun units for me was a cooking unit where mm-hmm. we literally had students sit down and cook their dinner on a, on a uh, charcoal grill. And I'm guessing and that this are, is something that students, or a lot of them, hadn't been exposed to, maybe even in their homes, but definitely in well, classrooms. Like how, that's how unusual. exactly it. It sounds that's so exactly, basic, but I take it not. Exactly what you're saying is true, where, you know, people often ask me, why did you have these students cooking? It was <laughs> at science camp. And <laughs> the reason that we cooked with them is because we, we surveyed our participants and for students who were ages, you know, 15 through 18 in high school, over 50% of them were never allowed in their kitchen wow. by their parents because their parents felt it to be too dangerous. So who am I? I'm always the one to come in and say, oh, this is what your parents didn't <laughs> let you do. This is what we're going to do. You, know? <laughs> you rebel. <laughs> sort of who I am. But that, that's a, that's a, just an example, a snapshot of some of the work that we did. And there are articles out there on it. Uh, both behind paywalls and uh, open to the public that I can share. Sure, and I'll uh, link to some um, on our website after. Fascinating. Uh, Brett Fiddler, I want to turn back to you and ask, like, how easy or, for that matter, difficult has it been to get different teaching approaches integrated into schools' educational systems at large? And is that ease or difficulty, like a function of level or environment, for instance, our elementary or high school or college is more accepting or resistant to changes and innovations for inclusiveness. Uh, that that's a good question. So, uh, in in terms of uh, the different levels, uh, it, yeah, it, it'll largely depend on the you know sort of uh, flexibility or the power that uh, individual teachers might have. Uh, within their own classrooms um, and you know that can uh, uh, you know depending on the existing uh, you know syllabi and and, and curriculum uh, restrictions but um, as far as as ours go uh, one of the uh, I guess the, the, the great things that uh, we try to do at FET uh, is keep all of our uh, simulations free so mm. um, what what we end up getting then is, uh, as long as there is sort of a word of mouth uh, and and uh, the message is, is spread and we have the the simulations that match what people would like in their, um, in their uh, in the curriculum for that for that semester for that year, uh, then it, it's fairly easy to to bring it in and it's uh, you know the the way we look at designing the simulations and and this includes all the di- different features that we. Uh, mentioned um, is that uh, they're meant to be fairly flexible, exploratory, um, and uh, so that they can be used in uh, any number of ways across different topics. Uh, whether whether it's exactly the topic you're trying to to hit, or uh, just teaches a, a good lesson on that side. Um, and I know these are open source, as you said, they're free. Do you have any indication? Are you sort of tracking what percent of schools now or teachers are using some form of these or it could be um, interactive multimodal 
tools like these? Uh, yeah, so we're able to track uh, how many uses we get. Um, and uh, as far as number of schools, we know we are uh, spreading spreading globally, um, but we are uh, uh, for sure throughout the United States and, and we're in, in the, the, the millions, uh, 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 hundreds of millions of uses per year. Um, and uh, as far as the, you know, and that brings another uh, another big point though, is that when it comes to the you know the accessibility uh, of uh, you know the, the, these features that can really promote uh, the use outside of just pure visual interaction. Um, you know, there's there's another challenge there for to make to make teachers known and uh, make it known to teachers, make it known to students that that these sorts of things exist in in some of the simulations, and uh, to even make them think that oh, like these, I may not have uh, you know I may not categorize myself as as having a disability, but there are other things that could be useful, like uh, uh, features as simple as pan and zoom, right? If you're working on a small screen. Um, a mobile device, maybe, and you're using the simulation. A, 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 a inclusive feature like that is uh, a wonderful thing, where you can actually uh, make out um, what's what's happening on screen. And it's not limited to those that have low vision, um, and uh, you know UI sounds and, and other sonifications that um, might just enhance the experiment the experience overall for you. Uh, Interesting, um, and. Toby Wedler, you know, you've been working also with researchers at universities, Baylor and Texas included. Yeah. Um, talk about some of that. Like, where's the leading edge? I read some things about, you know, like developing tools that help you taste and touch yeah. molecules. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a great question, Susan. And uh, I, I do need to credit the uh, Brian Shaw Lab at uh, Baylor University uh, in Waco, Texas. Amazing. First of all, just an amazing uh, biochemistry department and uh, such amazing efforts coming out of the out of the Shaw lab. Mm. Uh, they're actually a biochemistry lab researching uh, potential treatments to uh, ALS, which is a disease that we know plagues many people. But one of the things that they uh, they study uh, in addition to that, because uh, Brian has a visually impaired son and got really excited about it, is how to make uh, chemistry more accessible to blind folks. So a couple of different things that we're doing. Um, when I look at a chem, and I'm working with a with a handful of blind scientists on this as well, when uh, when we look at chemistry, one of the most inaccessible parts of it is um, getting things from the page that are drawn out into our mind. And uh, when I look at a problem like this, I often think about, you know, what are the sort of most fundamental solutions? And there's there happens to be that an Asian. Um, pottery technique from from centuries ago uh hmm. founded in japan called uh, lithophane and lithophanes are um historically lines very fine lines drawn in pottery to create a shape and literally to create a negative space that light can pass through so they look like nothing when you look at a, a piece just sitting on the table but if you hold it up to the light you can see exactly what the character is what the intricacies are they uh even uh created a picture of me done as a lithophane, which is a little scary to me. What's <laughs> I'll have to put that on the website. <laughs> <laughs> I can get that picture for sure. <laughs> what's scary about, uh, or excuse me, what's amazing about lithophanes is that um, we can 3D print them uh, at a much larger scale than you would look at them at about 300%. And when you feel the lithophane, you can literally feel <clears throat> the spaces that are aren't supposed to be negatives and you can understand any diagram that way so whether it's a bar graph or a pie chart or a electron cloud around a nitrogen atom 
<clears throat> or an um, electron microscope uh, image, you can really understand exactly what's going on. And it uh, it's impressive. It's I'll just say it's a it's a very exciting technology. The other thing that, that we found is that the resolution of the tongue is far better than the resolution of a fingertip. And if mm -hmm. we print three-dimensional print proteins and you can, we call it the mouth model. And this is before my time that Brian and his lab came up with this, but uh, I've since grown to really understand and appreciate it. You put this protein on your tongue and things that feel with your fingertip, just like a little blemish or a little space between two points, hmm. creates char amazing character on your tongue. You can literally feel little sulfur bridges in these protein structures. And it's it's wild what your tongue can feel huh. that your fingertips cannot. Fascinating. This is such an invitation for everyone to open your senses. Note to self included. That's right. So, um, <laughs> Absolutely. Brett Wedler, I just want to end with you. Is there anything else you'd want to add, some takeaway or like your vision for STEM Ed for the future that's not existing now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to, uh, I guess the, the big, the big comment, uh, is that, uh, you know, when you, you, when you create, uh, for the, for the edges, when you create for, uh, those, uh, with, with, uh, disabilities, you, you create for, uh, you, you capture everybody else too. Yeah, um, and, point. and what you get, what you get in the end is just so a, a better product, uh, a, a more future proof product. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, it's, you know, in some cases it, it is, it is more effort, but it is a it is a worthwhile effort. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Well, thank you so much. Oh. That was Dr. Hobie Wedler, an organic chemist, sensory expert, and entrepreneur based in Petaluma, California, and Dr. Brett Fiddler, a physical chemist at the University of Colorado Boulder. I'll link to um, their different labs on the website later at howonearthradio.org. Dr. Wedler, thanks so much for coming on the show. Susan, thanks for having me and, and just want to let you know that anything's possible with a with a positive attitude and, a, and an open mindset. So keep your minds open, keep curious. What I often say is curiosity, openness, playfulness. They're the things that help us thrive in life. Use them every day. Don't forget them. Amen. And Dr. Brett Fiddler, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, Hobie. Thanks, Brett. Great to be on the show with you. Thanks, Susan. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer and today's show producer is I, Susan Moran. Our engineer is Alexis Kenyon. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and X. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Susan Moran.